Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. It'd be really helpful if you could turn back to Numbers chapter 6. Now the Pan American Highway is a remarkable road. 30,000 kilometres long, it runs from, through 14 countries, from the top of North America in Alaska, right down to the bottom of South America in Argentina. And as road trips go, this has to be one of the best. But there is a problem. And that is that you can't actually drive the whole way through. There is a section where there is no road. This break in the road lasts about 100 to 150 kilometres and is between Colombia and Panama and it's known as the Darien Gap. It is a mix of jungle and swampland and to travel any inland road through the Darien Gap is highly dangerous because the jungle is home to poisonous snakes, anti-government guerrilla troops and drug traffickers and with them comes the danger of robbery, kidnapping and death. Not for no reason has this trek through the Darien Gap been called the world's most dangerous journey. Yet each year thousands of migrants from Cuba, Africa and Asia make this perilous journey in the hope of reaching the promised land, the United States of America. The land of opportunity to pursue the American dream. Now this idea of a dangerous journey describes well the setting of our passage that we're looking at this morning. Because the situation here is that God's people have been rescued from slavery in Egypt and are about to embark on a dangerous journey to a promised land of Canaan. A land flowing with milk and honey, a picture of heaven on earth. But before they set off, they've been receiving instructions from the Lord at Mount Sinai. To Moses, God has given them to the Ten Commandments. He's also received directions for building the tabernacle, where God will live amongst his people. And the sacrificial system, the ceremonial laws, laws so that the God who is holy can actually live amongst his people. That's what we find in the book of Leviticus. Now here in the book of Numbers, it's time for the people to finally set off on this journey. The Israelites are counted and arranged by tribe, in chapters 1 to 4. And then in chapters 5 to 6, they receive instructions about what should characterise them as they make this journey. They should live holy and pure lives as they travel. They are to live, uh, live holy and pure lives because the Lord who they will be travelling with is holy and pure. Yet as useful as all these different instructions that God has given to Moses to pass on to the people, However useful they were to prepare them for this dangerous journey, there was something that they needed more. And that was the Lord's blessing. If the Lord was to bless them, they would have everything they needed as they made this journey to the promised land. The blessing of God is what they needed. And here at the end of number six, the blessing of God is what they are given. 
Look at how the passage begins, verses 22 and 23. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them. God says to Moses, Tell Aaron, tell his sons, the priests, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. What we have here isn't a prayer. This is a proclamation. In this blessing, God proclaims to his people that he is going to give them everything that they need to reach the promised land and to enjoy life there. That they were going to lack no good thing. That the Lord was going to be their shepherd. And with him as their shepherd, they shall not be in want. He says he's going to bless them. He's going to give them what they needed. And in particular, we'll see that they needed three things from the Lord as they make this dangerous journey to a promised land. Now, before we look at what these three things are, let me just make a, a few comments about the makeup of a blessing as a whole. First thing to note is that this blessing is made up of three lines, with each line longer than the, the previous one. In Hebrew, the first line is made up of three words, the second of five, and the third of seven. There are 12 syllables in the first line, 14 in the second, 16 in the third. In the first line, there are 15 consonants, the second 20, and the third 25. And what this overall effect gives is it's like that the volume of God's blessing is being turned up as, as you go through it. It's like the blessing is getting louder and louder as, as the priests go on to the next line and then on to the next line. So that's one thing to note. Second thing to note is that this blessing is given to everyone who is part of God's people. So in verse 23, Aaron and his sons are to bless the Israelites as a whole. And even, I think, the structure of the blessing gives a hint of this. There are 15 words in total, and if you were to subtract the three occurrences of the Lord in them, there's 12 words left. No doubt a reference to the 12 tribes. No one who is part of God's people is going to miss out on this blessing. But when you get to verses 24 and to 26, what we discover is that the blessing, whilst made to all of Israel, is given to you, you singular. So if you want to be personally blessed by God, you need to take your place amongst his people. This means that if you're not one of God's people, that is, you're not trusting in Jesus to save you from your sins, if you're not relying on his blood shed on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against you, and you're not relying on Jesus' righteousness to make you righteous in God's sight, you will not be blessed by God. In fact, you are still under his curse, and one day you will experience that curse fully and finally and eternally in hell. The blessing only comes to you if you are part of God's family. And then one final thing to note is that the first half of each line basically says the same thing, but in three different ways. That God is going to bless you if you are one of his people. So verse 24, the Lord bless you. That is, God's favour is towards you. The Lord, verse 25, make his face shine upon you. The face here um, expresses and reflects the will and wishes of a whole person towards another. The face is, is communicating something, a bit like what our hands do. So think about it. We shake hands to communicate something, to agree with someone or to welcome them. We, we put our heads in our hands what? 
to, to show that we're, we're devastated about something. Or we might put our hands over our mouths to express maybe a sudden realisation or, or shock or, or horror. Well, what we have here is a shining face. And a shining face communicates delight. God is saying here that he is taking pleasure in those who are his people. He's looking down upon them and smiling. And then verse 26, the Lord turn his face towards you. That is, God is taking notice of his people. He's putting down his, his newspaper or smartphone and giving his children his undivided attention. He's looking at you, listening to you, aware of your needs, your struggles, your temptations, your frustrations, and is available, ready to act. The Lord bless you. That's how God feels about his people. And how does he show that he feels this way about his people? Well, the second half of each line says what the results or the fruit of God's blessing is or how the person experiences it, or three things that God says his people need and what he will give to them as they make this journey to the promised land. So let's look at what they are. Firstly, we see that they needed God's protection. They needed God's protection. So verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. As the Israelites embark on this dangerous journey to the promised land, they needed God's protection to survive the harsh conditions of a desert, to defend them from enemy attack, to enable them to resist temptation, to worship the attractive false gods of the tribes and nations that they would encounter as they travelled, and not to embrace their godless lifestyle. They needed God's protection. And as Aaron, the high priest, lifts his hands towards the people as he proclaims to them, the Lord bless you and keep you, he was saying to them that God was going to give them the protection they needed. He was going to bless them with protection, but he wouldn't abandon them. But he was looking out for them, but he was watching over them. He was caring for them. He was saying they're going to make this journey under the umbrella of God's protection over their lives. Everywhere they went, God would be with them. He would get them to the promised land. They needed God's protection. Secondly, they needed God's pardon. Verse 25, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Why did the Israelites need God's pardon, his forgiveness as they travelled to the promised land? It's because without it, there was no way that God could look down upon them and smile. There was no way his face could shine upon them. Without God's pardon, without his forgiveness without him being gracious to them. When God's face looked at them, it wouldn't be to bless them, but to curse them. Because he would only see their sin, their rebellion, their unbelief. Although they had been told to live holy and pure lives as they travelled to a promised land, they simply would not be able to perfectly do this. Before long, they would disobey God. They'd be unholy and impure. So if God's face was going to shine upon them, they needed his grace. Otherwise, there was no way he could bless them. They needed God to be compassionate and gracious, to be slow to anger, to be abounding in love and faithfulness, to maintain love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. For God not to treat them as their sins deserve 
or to repay them according to their iniquities. They needed God's pardon. And as Aaron the high priest lifts his hands and proclaims to the people, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, he was saying, you're going to be blessed with God's pardon. God was going to bless them with his forgiveness. That their sin would not stop God from blessing them. And then thirdly, they needed God's provision. Verse 26, the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This word peace we usually understand as referring to the the end of violence between two warring parties. But the word peace in Hebrew, shalom, is, is far more than that. It's more than just the end of fighting. It means that the violence has gone and that everything has been rebuilt. We're talking about total renewal and restoration. God's pardon removes God's anger at his people because of their sin. And by giving them his peace, he's saying he's going to provide for their total well-being. He's going to to put them back together again, to make them into the people they were meant to be. They needed God's provision, both material and spiritual. And as Aaron, the high priest, again, lifts his hands towards the people and proclaims to them, the Lord Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. He was saying that God was going to provide them with everything they needed to live. And by protecting the Israelites, by pardoning the Israelites, by providing for the Israelites, God was giving his name to them. So verse 27, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. As the Israelites received this blessing from the Lord, they were being branded by him, marked out as him, as his. And those who carry the name of the Lord, he promises to bless with pardon and protection, and provision so they make it to the promised land. What we have here were wonderful words for the Israelites to hear. Truly were wonderful. But they were also remarkable words for the Israelites to hear. They needed God's blessing desperately, but there was no way they should have been given it. Just think about what the, the Israelites we encounter here were like having just been rescued from slavery in Egypt, having been brought safely through the Red Sea, what did they do as they travelled to Mount Sinai? They grumbled against Moses and against God about the lack of food, about the lack of water, about these scary enemies that were around them. Then as they camped to the bottom of Mount Sinai and God makes a covenant with them, giving them his law, what did they do as they waited for Moses to come down the mountain? They got Aaron to make an idol, a golden calf, which they worshipped. The Israelites, as a whole, should have been cursed by God. They should have been completely destroyed, wiped out by God for this. Yet God says here, he'll put his name upon them and bless them with his protection, his pardon and his provision. How can God do this? How can God bless these grumbling Ungrateful idolaters. Well, the answer to this how question comes by asking a when question. When did Aaron, when did the high priest, when did the priest proclaim this blessing to the people? Let me read a verse from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 9 verse 22, we read, 
Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering and a fellowship offering, he stepped down. The blessing comes after a sacrifice is made for the people by the high priest. A sacrifice that atones for the sin of the people. A sacrifice that is cursed and killed instead of the people. That's how the Israelites could be blessed with God's protection, pardon and provision. Because a substitute had already taken the curse they deserve. That's how God can place his name upon the people. Because something has already died in their place. Now, this is where I think the passage gets really exciting. And I hope you're going to be excited by this this morning. Because who does the high priest picture and point to? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. You all agree? And, and, and who does the sacrifice the high priest offers on behalf of the people picture and point to? Jesus. Thank you, Harrison. It is. It's, it's Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus, the sinless Son of God, our great high priest, offers himself as a perfect, pure and spotless sacrifice when he died on the cross. He who for eternity had only known God's blessing as he hung there, for the first time is not blessed by his Father, but cursed by him. He who for eternity had experienced God's smile for the first time, is looked upon in wrath and anger. He who for eternity had his father's gaze, attention, face turned towards him, for the first time looks and sees himself abandoned with his father forsaking him as his face is turned away from him. Jesus is slain for us and for our sin. He receives a curse that was ours because by, like the Israelites, we don't deserve to be blessed by God. We deserve to be punished by him in hell because of our sin, our rebellion and unbelief. Now once Jesus, our great high priest, has offered himself as a sacrifice to atone for sins, he then rose from the dead as proof that a penalty had been paid for and that a curse of God upon his people had been removed. Now having done this, what should he do next? What does a high priest do once the sacrifice has been made and accepted. Well, the high priest, we've, we just read, he, he blesses the people. He says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And what does Jesus do? After, die, after, making, after he makes a sacrifice by dying on a cross and shows that he was accepted by his father from rising from the dead? Well, let me read Luke 24, words from the end of that chapter. When Jesus had led his disciples out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. What do we see here? We see Jesus sharing the blessing that was his with his people. Jesus here saying to his disciples, proclaiming to his disciples, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Jesus puts the name of the Lord, Father, Son and Holy Spirit upon them. The name of the Father 
who is a source of all blessing and who blesses his people with every spiritual blessing, whose plan and purpose it was to send the Lord Jesus into the world to save sinners, who has promised to protect his people so that no one and nothing can snatch them out of his hand, and who has begun a good work in them and bring them to completion. The name of a son, who has secured all of his blessings for them on the basis of his holy and righteous life and sacrificial death where every sin his people would ever commit was laid on him and, they re- and received the curse they, des- he des- they deserved. And the name of the Holy Spirit is placed on him. One who applies to them all the blessings of a father that have been secured by the son. As the Spirit ensures them that they are forgiven and accepted loved and protected, and works in them restoring the image of God as they grow in Christ-likeness. But Jesus doesn't just bless those disciples that were actually physically standing in front of him. We're told that as he was blessing them, he ascended into heaven. And that is what he continues to do now. Jesus is now pouring out the blessings that come from the Father through the Spirit upon all his people. He's saying to those who have repented of their sin, who are trusting in him to save them, who have the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit placed upon them in baptism, you have God's protection. You have God's pardon, and you have God's provision. This is yours. He's giving us what we need. Like the Israelites needed God's protection, pardon and provision as they travelled to the promised land because it was a dangerous journey. We too are on the way to the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. And this too is a dangerous journey. We need God's protection because there are enemies that surround us that attack us. They they want us to give up. They want us to, to go along the wrong path. And that's going to be the case until we reach safety in heaven. We need God's protection each day. We need God's pardon because sin is still a reality in our lives and it will be until we reach heaven because only then will we be sinless. And we need God's provision, his help to live a holy and pure life that pleases him, to be the people he wants us to be, to do the things he wants us to do, to be more and more like Christ. Only in heaven will the good work that God is doing in us now be completed when we are glorified. Protection, pardon, provision. Those are the three things that God says we need as we travel a narrow path that leads to eternal life. It's no surprise then, but when Jesus teaches his followers to pray, what does he tell them to ask for? Provision. Give us today our daily bread. Pardon. Forgive us our sins or forgive us our debts. Protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're asking, as we pray that prayer, we're asking God to bless us. And he will because Jesus was cursed for us. God will answer our prayers. He will give us his provision, his pardon and his protection so that we make it to a promised land if we are his people. Now what effect should all that we've just seen and and heard have on us if we are trusting in Jesus? What what, what should our response be this morning 
Well, I think it's this. Every Sunday, when you gather together as a local church, you should come hungry for the blessing, for the benediction. You know the, you know the benediction, the, the words that you, that, that you end the service with? Now, those words are not an announcement that the service is over. Please don't ever treat those words as, as the announcement, right, it's, it's service is over. That it's now time for you to have some more tea and coffee to, to chat with your friends. That's not what the benediction is saying. It's not saying, oh, service is over, you can go home now. That's, that's not what it is. No, the benediction, the blessing, is the climax of worship, of a worship service. Having praised God, having confessed our sins, having thanked Jesus for saving us, having prayed for his provision, pardon and protection, for the spread of the gospel, for the growth of the church in Christ-likeness and in the community and beyond, having heard his word read and preached, revealing the Lord Jesus to us, his, his person, his work, his will for us individually and collectively as a church and recommitted ourselves to him. Having done all of that, which is what you, we've done this morning, we're almost ready to go out into a new week. You're almost ready. Once I, once I finish the sermon, you're, you're ready to go out into a new week, but not quite yet. You're, you're almost ready to, to go out to live holy and pure lives, to bless others by speaking the good news of Jesus so they can enjoy God's blessing as they trust in him, to obey, to encourage one another, to obey everything Jesus has commanded. But, but you need to remember, you need to remind yourselves again that you're going to be doing all of that, living holy and pure lives, blessing others. You're going to be doing that in hostile territory. The moment you leave this room, you're, you're, you're in hostile territory again. You're surrounded by godlessness, sin and temptation. So before you leave and scatter for the week ahead, there's something else you need. There's something else we need. We need the benediction. We need the blessing. We need to hear the Lord Jesus tell us as we leave, but as we go out into a new week to fight the good fight of faith with courage and boldness, that he will never leave us or forsake us. But he is with us by his spirit because he is. We have God's protection. We have God's pardon. That's, we have God's provision. And we need to know that. We need to be reminded of this. And that's what the benediction does. Those final words of a service. The benediction is here to send us out with confidence, knowing that we are not alone. Knowing that we have God with us. That God is blessing us by keeping us. That God's face is shining upon us to be gracious to us. That God's face is turned towards us to give us peace. Aren't those words that you actually want to hear as you leave this place? Don't, don't you want to leave knowing that the Lord Jesus proclaimed to you that you have the provision, pardon and protection that you need to go out and serve him and live with him and walk with him for the week ahead, whatever challenges may face, whatever evil and wickedness that you're confronted with. But in the midst of all of that, God is with you to bless you. Aren't those words you, you need to hear? But actually, aren't those words you're desperate to hear? So when we come to church each Sunday, when we gather together as his people, as we do all the, the things that we do in the worship service, we should be there anticipating, waiting for, 
those, that final moment of, of a service, a climax, when we hear the benediction, when we hear the Lord Jesus proclaim to us, you are going, you are out with this, if you are my people, with my protection, with my pardon, with my provision. Oh, I pray that we'd be desperate to hear the benediction each Sunday and that it would send us out with confidence into the week ahead. Let me pray.